through our scientific genius, we've made of the world a neighborhood. And now through our moral and ethical commitment, we must make of it a brotherhood. We must all learn to live together as brothers, or we will all perish together as fools. As for me, I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory and the coming of our Lord. 47 million black people, you don't even know their own language. Why? Because he took it away from you. 47 million black people don't even know the history of their ancestors. Why? Because he took it away from you. The injustice that has been inflicted upon the so-called Negro in this country by Uncle Sam is criminal. Don't blame the cracker in Georgia for your issues. Do like the insurrectionists did on January 6th and blame the government. That's who's responsible. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it is no secret that I am a lifelong student, lifelong fan of all things Malcolm and Martin. As a kid, instead of reading comic books, I was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. And so when I tell you today that I am pleased, proud, and honored to have this incredible privilege to introduce the person I consider, you hear me say it all the time, as the greatest American this country has ever produced, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I welcome you, sir, back to planet Earth. I welcome you to the studios of KBLA Talk 1580. Thank you, Tavis. I've followed your career, and I'm equally honored to sit in front of this illuminating microphone. Illuminating. There's a word. Uh, I'm sure with you speaking into it, it'll be all that and then some. Thank you for joining us today. Also in studio, a warrior who rose from the streets of Detroit, New York, and Boston to world acclaim. They called him the lion of the black nationalist movement. I call him one of the most iconic, transformative figures whose unimaginable levels of influence have transcended generations. I am equally honored to be joined in this studio today by El Haj Malik El Shabazz, a.k.a. Brother Minister Malcolm X. In the name of Allah, the beneficent and merciful, I greet you with the greeting of the people in paradise. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum, my brother. Walaikum assalam, my brother. Again, to say that I am humbled wouldn't do justice to what I'm feeling right now. Indeed, I have goosebumps right now in this studio. Uh, y'all pray for me to get through <laughs> get through now, this now, hour. Now, hold, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> now, before we think get too heavy in here... Am I the only one who noticed the uncharacteristic hairstyle the good doctor is sporting here? Oh, here you go. (laughs) What's up, Doc? (laughs) I'm I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Brother Malcolm. I I like the dreadlocks, Dr. King, but that is not exactly how we remember you, sir. Well, if you must know, Malcolm, this is just a manifestation of higher consciousness, Mm. a spiritual evolution, if you will. That's what it is. Now that I'm back in this body, I realize that black folks are finally coming to realize that black is beautiful. Mm. People young and old are wearing their hair naturally now. So I'm just going back to my roots and sporting my crown. (laughs) After all, I am a king. But but is that we came here to talk about? Okay, okay, okay. Don't get all defensive. The only reason I ask you about your hairstyle, you being so into integration and all, I just thought that 
Perhaps you might have made a mistake and slipped into and slipped and integrated into the wrong heaven. Ain't but one heaven and, for me, bro. And you wasn't able to find a Negro barber to accommodate your specialized grooming needs. All right. Let, 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 me, let me jump in right quick. Okay. <laughs> now we've got the hair thing out of the yeah, way. Uh, yeah, we're going to be all over the place, I'm sure, in this hour. Um, but I want to jump right to our first topic, watching our time. Uh, you're only back here for one hour. Okay. I want to make the most of your hour back here with us first you minister malcolm you alluded to it earlier black folk have been protesting in this country for a long long time as mm -hmm. you both know right the january 6th insurrection though to my mind was another kind of beast altogether right. you could imagine we've been talking about it uh, ad infinitum ad nauseum here mm -hmm. at kbla talk 1580 what are your thoughts about what happened that day january 6th you know it's interesting that you would ask me that question now, as you know, I learned a long time ago that I'm probably the last person America would want to hear commenting on white folks' business. Is, is, but, that, is that, is, hold on, is that how you see January 6th, as, as white folk business? Anytime both sides are playing and protected by the same rules, rules not afforded to any other race, what would you call it? Please elaborate for me. I'm not sure I want to, I want to follow you here. Okay, let's break it down. Mm -hmm. January 6th, you had a bunch of grown, armed, homegrown, armed terrorists, mm -hmm. sworn enemies of the state, infiltrating what should have been the government's most strategic and secured asset. They're scaling walls, breaking out windows, recklessly roaming the hollowed halls of justice on an express seek and destroy mission to murder top government officials. Mm. And yet your so-called leader elect not to activate his military. Now, are we on the same page here? I'm with you now. Same page, same chapter, same verse, sir. Your police force is being brutalized and beaten to a pulp with fatalities. And again, without any kind of forceful backup. Mm -hmm. And yet none of the bad guys get beaten, shot, hosed down, choked out, Ooh. shoved to the ground. None of that. Now, did they not feel that their lives were threatened because they were white? As a matter of fact, as cold as it was on that winter day, if they had brought out the water hoses, that would have ended the whole situation without any further escalation of force or damage. So it begs the obvious. Why do you think they didn't, Brother Man? I'd say they didn't like the optics of treating folks like they treat Negroes. And God only knows what would have happened if they'd have brought out the dogs. And then they spend the next six months trying to find the perpetrators by posting these videos online. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why, if that had been a bunch of black folk, folk look like you and me, Tavis, the military would have been activated long before we even stepped one foot in Washington. And the only place they would have been looking for us would have been the city mall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear you, I hear you. Um, and I think I get your point, Brother Minister. White folks rules, right? White folks rules. Yes, sir. Um, okay, now that I've... <laughs> kind of got my bearings here and steal my nerves to be seated in front of Minister Malcolm and, and, and Dr. Martin King. There's a burning question that I've been frustrated by and wondered, frankly, about all of my life. And by the grace of the creator, I finally get to ask this question. Brother Malcolm, a a as profound an individual as you were, as politicized, for that matter, as you were, the same would apply to you, Dr. King, mm -hmm. of course. You were a theology student, of course. You became the voice of the civil rights movement. Brother Malcolm, you became the face of revolutionary black nationalism. You and Dr. King were contemporary. Mm -hmm. You both were great giants. 
Uh, now, I, now, is there a question here somewhere? I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, okay. getting there. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. I, I can't believe that in your life, we're told you only met one time. Mm-hmm. And from what we're told, it was only for near 15 minutes after mm. a chance meeting, accidental meeting on the Capitol steps following the march on Washington in August of 1963. Maybe you can't well, believe everything you've been told. Well, let me ask then. Was the distance of ideology so strong that it kept you over here, Dr. King, kept you over here, Minister Malcolm, um, that you never met with each other for a sit-down conversation on purpose. Is that true? But, but, but now, you hold on, hold on just a second. We actually... Excuse me. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that there are a number of young, impressionable lions, like Jesse Jackson, Stokely Carmichael, H. Rod Brown, mm-hmm. Huey P. Newton. If you'd kept the same kind of... What am I trying to say here? If you'd kept the same kind of continuity, continuity when, when Eldridge Cleaver came on the scene, Bunchy Carter, Angela Davis, Asada Shakur, Kathleen Cleaver, we could run the list. What do you think they would have done? This is my question. If they had seen you two brothers come together, consequently, they never saw that. And everybody went their separate ways like the two of you did. Mm-hmm. So I'm just asking mm-hmm. respectfully and in good conscience, why couldn't y'all reconcile? Was it was was it ego? Wow. And I thought you said you liked us, I, I, do, I love you. I don't I like you. I, I love you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to understand why y'all couldn't get together. No, I, I don't think ego had anything to do with it. Do you, Malcolm? No, no, not at all. Following my split with the Nation of Islam, I announced that although I was still a Muslim, I would be willing to insert myself into the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. and work with Dr. King or any other so-called Negro organization to evangelize the philosophy of black nationalism in order to bring about a physical freedom of black people. Now, now, where Malcolm and I seem to be differing is that where Malcolm was a little bit more militant, if Mm -hmm. you will, I believe that the power of Christian love was a power that we hadn't tapped into fully yet, and that we could use it to transform our lives, but at the same time, transform the earth in which we live. I believed we could change the system and at the same time, win the hearts and souls of those who had kept these conditions alive. Malcolm had approached me, and we did get together mm-hmm. on more than one occasion. Yes, Isn't that right? Yeah. That's uh-huh. true. That's true. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, we made a tactical decision to prepare for the battle ahead in obscurity as to not become bigger targets than we already were. I'm, I'm glad to hear you two set the record straight. I guess the, the question for me now, Mr. Malcolm, is why did you decide to reach out? Dr. King is a Christian minister. Mm-hmm. But he's become more famous for being involved in the civil rights struggle. Mm -hmm. I am a Muslim minister. I'm a black nationalist freedom fighter. Islam is my religion. I realize that if we came out here and we started discussing religion, then we'd have too many differences from the outset and we'd never get together. But if we keep our religion at home, in the closet, between ourselves and our God, then we'd have a fight that's common to the both of us against an enemy who's common to both of us. Mm -hmm. So it begs the obvious. What happened? That was during the time that I was preparing to take the United States government before the world court on charges of civil and human rights violation against its colonized black citizens. Now, can you imagine... Malcolm and I's voice speaking as one, mm. making the case against America mm. in front of the whole world, home and abroad. 
I can and I can't. I get chills just just thinking about it. So again, what happened? The powers that be, Tavis, decided that one of us had to go. And since I was perceived as the greater threat, it had to be me. So within two weeks of that meeting, well, you know what happened. The rest, as they say, is history. And so was I. Yeah, just another case, it seems to me, Mm. of... uh, too black, too strong. Too black, too strong. I, I I read once where J. Edgar Hoover actually did not deny. J. Edgar. Yeah, mm. he didn't deny culpability here, stating instead, and I quote, the country couldn't afford the rise of another black messiah, close quote. That's Hoover. So switching reels here, um, another hot topic of late has been uh, um, the question of reparations. And I don't know what it's going to take us, but but what are your thoughts on the matter of reparations, Dr. King? Well, Tavis, the Bible says that a servant is worthy of his hire. And reparations are right, and they've been delayed and too long denied. But given the interest and penalties accrued over 400 years of unpaid labor, plus the enormous amount of overtime, there is no doubt that to the validity of the black man's claim for compensation. However... That would be an enormous and substantial amount of money. Are you concerned about that? Is well, that I mean, my only concern is if we were to do it, for the most part, I would advocate some kind of uh, financial literacy training program. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, for many of the folks who would receive this money, it wouldn't make any substantial difference in their actual lives. And this whole idea of black and generational wealth would remain a fleeting fantasy. I feel you on that, and I actually like your idea. Now, even if it's not approved, mm-hmm. if we kept that money, the, the money that we do have in our own community, invested wisely, allowed it to circulate, it would have greater value than reparation money misspent. And as it stands now, if we got that money today, the Jews, Koreans, Mexicans, and every other community would be the biggest benefit. They'd have the biggest benefit. <laughs> that reminds me of a joke. Jet Magazine reported that Barry Goldwater told somewhere during his 1964 presidential campaign. Barry Goldwater? Barry Goldwater. Oh, Lord. Barry okay. Goldwater said, <laughs> check it out. Okay. Barry Goldwater said that a white man, a Negro, and a Jew were given one wish each. Mm-hmm. The white man asked for security. And the Negro asked for a whole lot of money. And that Jew, he said all he wanted was a bunch of imitation jewelry and that color boy's address and phone number. <laughs> <laughs> you know you need to quit. You're all yeah, yeah, no. for that, Mr. <laughs> okay, You're now, for that. Now, 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 although that was a racist joke. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> there is an element of truth about what happens when you give people who never had anything large sums of instant money. It's a conversation we have all the time here on KBLA Talk for Canadian with so many athletes who make hundreds mm-hmm. of millions of dollars. You look up, they retire, and a few years later, they're broke. Same thing happens to some of these, uh, some of these entertainers mm-hmm. who are wearing gold chains around their neck but not sure what they're doing with their money. I digress on that point watching my time. So, Dr. King... Mm-hmm. As a person who helped to lead the seminal civil rights movement, and we can't thank you enough all these years later, sir, for your leadership in that movement, what are your thoughts today on the Black Lives Matter movement? 
Now, I mean no disrespect to the cause, but merely making the statement that Black Lives Matter isn't really a call to action. Right. It sounds more like a, a greeting card or a bumper sticker, and thus the inappropriate, idiotic reaction of folks saying that all lives matter. We know that all lives matter. I understand that slogans are not solutions, but when you say it's not a call to action, unpack that for me. Fight the power. I got that part. I, I do think it's interesting that the main focus of the Black Lives Matter movement is stating the obvious, that is, the basic elementary right of a black people's right to simply live. You say stating the obvious, um, perhaps it is, but why does that concern you? Because if we're still debating the black man's basic right to just exist and not the improvement of the condition of his life and, and more opportunities, then we've got further to go in this country than I ever thought before. So it, it might sound like we're stating the obvious, Dr. King, but it seems to me that somebody had to stand up and say it, that black lives do matter. So the question I'm asking, I, say, I, I, I suppose, is whether or not, yeah, that's what I'm asking, do you support the movement? In all reality, Tavis, I'm somewhat conflicted in that I do share the concerns about the sanctity of black lives, but statistically speaking, however, in many cases, it would appear that we are our own worst enemy. Well, hold, hold up, Dr. King. I, I, I've written a book about you since you've been gone, and I didn't see that response coming. You know, as I understand it today, blacks are killing blacks at an extraordinarily disproportionate rate in contrast to that of the police, the Ku Klux Klan, and the white nationalists combined. We've got to take care respect and protect and value our own lives. But respectfully, mm. that goes without saying, Dr. King. You see, whenever somebody brings up this subject, everybody's got a big old butt. You say, uh, uh, well, <laughs> but that goes without saying. I say, but why aren't we saying? And I say respectfully, but isn't it true that predators in general kill in relationship to where they live? So black folk kill black folk, white folk kill white folk, etc. I understand that because... Ignorance, poverty, and disease breed crime, whatever the racial group may be. And I understand the argument that based on proximity, whites kill whites. But as they used to say in my time, that's white folks' business. Right. Mm. I think that go. we, if we were willing to march and protest mm -hmm. and go into the streets yeah. when blacks were killing blacks, okay. to stop that, we'd have far few parents bearing their children and go. far few undertakers in our communities living high on the hog. Mm. Not every problem that the Negro faces should be or can be or needs to be solved by the white man. And unfortunately, black lives haven't mattered in this country since Negroes stopped working for free a day after the end of slavery. We ought to be advocating for black unity and accountability, thinking about how black guns and votes matter, mm -hmm. jury duty, black lives matter to who? Like Martin said, if it matters so much to us, we'd be equally concerned and protect our people against any foe, mm -hmm. not just those in blue. We can't be particular about who we accept killing our sons and daughters. Frederick Douglass said long time ago, the world we live in is very accommodating to all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. It will cooperate with them in any manner that they propose. 
it will help those who earnestly help themselves mm -hmm. and will hinder those who hinder themselves. It will respect those who respect themselves mm -hmm. and despise those who despise themselves. And it is not within the unaided, the power of the unaided human nature to persevere in pitying a people who are insensitive to their own wrongs mm. and indifferent to the attainment of their own rights. The poet was as true to common sense as he was to poetry when he wrote, Who would be free themselves must strike the blow. I hear you on that, Mr. Malcolm. I couldn't, couldn't agree more on that. And before we get off this subject, I, I, I made note of this. I, I didn't miss this. I heard what you said, Brother Minister. I noted earlier when you said that Negroes stopped working a mm -hmm. day after, right. after uh -huh. the end of slavery. Did I miss something there? Why not the day, same day that slavery ended? Oh, I think they still had some chitlins cooking back at the oh, shack. Lord, oh, Lord. And they wanted to stick around and clean up the smell before they left. They didn't want old master to be too much madder at them than he already was for leaving. You know how it is, yeah. you, you who, swine eaters. Who knew that Minister Malcolm uh, did comedy styling as well? Um, <laughs> let, let me say this. Um, both of you, on a serious note, have been gone now for over a half century or 50 years resting as we say hmm. in peace let me ask you in all seriousness why interrupt your sleep and come back to see us now i don't know if we've well, been uh go ahead for a while there once barack obama was elected president you had an entire generation of happy negroes operating under the delusion that they were somehow living in what what's called a post-racial society, mm -hmm. a society here in America where bigotry, prejudice, and discrimination no longer existed. Yeah, but then Donald Trump showed up. Mm -hmm. yeah, and until then, they had been lulled into a false sense of complacency, a deadly ignorance, unaware of the plot against them or the fight that they needed to fight institutionalized and social racism hadn't gone anywhere. And nowadays, the thought of being woke is frowned upon and feared by the nervous whites in power. And so how can we sleep when millions of black people are still in mental and physical bondage? That's right. How can we sleep in a country that elects a president who tries with all his might mm. to make America great again? And he understands full well that this country was at its greatest advantage when it had uncompensated slave labor subject to the will of any punishment All the right, so-called white slave master deemed necessary. And how can we sleep when it's legal for white men to stand their ground, hunt down and slaughter defenseless black boys without fear of retribution? Why, it's enough to make an integrationist Negro stop grinning. Watch yourself hey. now, Malcolm. Here you go. <laughs> and so you think thought it was important to come back at this critical critical juncture in time because because people seem to have no historic perspective they tend to want to believe that police and white men killing black folks is somehow something new and so there's no sense of heightened frustration whether it's rodney king Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, or Tyree Nichols. And you say what about that? I say history is best qualified to reward research. Now, it wasn't new in 1963 when they gunned down Medgar Evers in his own driveway. 
And it wasn't new when the LAPD gunned down seven unarmed Muslims in a mosque and murdered Ronald Stokes in 1962. And it wasn't new when Mac Charles Parker was dragged from his Mississippi jail cell, lynched and thrown into the river in 1959. And it certainly wasn't new in 1955 when a, when a bunch of cowardly grown white men tortured, battered, and shot 15-year-old Emmett Till in the middle of the night. Lord and then they castrated him. The sick bastard cut off his penis and stuffed it in his mouth before sinking him into the bottom of the Tallahatchie River. I can uh, still uh, hear his voice crying from the river. I want to make sure I understand the point you're making, Minister Malcolm, though. I'm saying... The Klan murdered my father mm. in 1931 and got away with it, and it wasn't new even then. Wake up, black America! I take your point. I take your point. Um, that is, as I started listening to the list that you and Dr. King ran down a moment ago, that's a pretty violent resume, and we can add to that list if we had the time. Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, mm -hmm. Eula Love, Ahmaud Arbery, Philando Castile, mm -hmm. George Floyd, so many others. And so I guess the question is how... From your perspective, can we stop the madness? By any means necessary. So you're advocating the use of... Any means necessary. I can't make it any clearer than that. By the ballot, by the bullet, by education, whatever it takes, there's no cavalry coming. If the black lives are to matter, they must matter to black people first. Mm -hmm. If black people are going to be saved, black people are going to have to save themselves. So I want to be clear that I'm understanding what you're saying here. Are you saying that the random killing of seemingly innocent law enforcement officers is justified, Mr. Malcolm? I'm not advocating any kind of senseless violence. If he or she is truly innocent, a police officer's death is just as wrong and just as much of a tragedy as the senseless death of black people. Mm -hmm. But a man cannot reap anything other than what he sows. Mm. And if the death of that officer causes his colleagues in blue and their families to recognize the humanity, the pain, and the value of life mm. of those victims of police violence, and they empathize with those families, and it causes them to pause, mm. even for one second, before pulling that trigger or raising that cane, then hopefully, within time, we'll see an end to all the violence on both sides. I hear you. I'm just processing um, mm -hmm. what you're saying here. I'm, I'm wondering whether or not you think then it's possible. I'm not naive in asking this, but I'm wondering whether or not you think it's possible that black folk and law enforcement will ever have um, an amicable relationship. Well, considering that the police tactics that are being used have their roots in the old slave patrols from the early 1800s, mm -hmm. I don't really know how that's possible. There's no precedent for it. We don't even know what that would look like. So the real question becomes, how do we insulate ourselves from the unprovoked act of aggression by a racist institution? by a racist society. How do we declare our sovereignty and our independence as a people, as a nation? 
Make no mistake about it, Tavis. Mm. We are a nation within a nation. Mm -hmm. And this government cannot be our benefactor and oppressor at the same time. I hear you. you. Now, trust me when I tell you, the slave master's children and great-grandchildren have the same nefarious mindset as their father. Nothing has changed. That's uh, a mouthful. Um, Folk would debate you on that, I Mm -hmm. suspect. Uh, I guess the question is whether or not you think, I mean, so what do we do? We need, we need an, uh, another million man march or something? March and do what? If you're going to march, you need to be going somewhere and plan on doing something when you get there. I'd like to see a million black men march and get involved with taking control of the drug houses in the communities. A million men marching and mentor a million young black brothers. Well, yeah. I... I it, <laughs> Dr. King, it seems it seems to me, um, as I sit here listening to the two of you, that perhaps the problem that we face uh, in its greatest form is a lack of access to power. You were fighting for access then. Is, is that the issue that we, well, we, we, well, Tavis, we face, a lack that, of access that, to that's power? That's not altogether true. You okay. see, we have power, mm-hmm. and we fail to recognize it and exercise it. Land Labor and capital is the foundation of wealth anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. At some point, Negroes owned a great deal of land. you got Negroes in the South as well as Negroes in the North who own acres full of land. Coming out of slavery, we had the labor market sold up. Even Booker T. told us that we should become builders and build our own homes and infrastructures and build up our own communities as, as craftsmen. And you know what? We done turned that over to the Mexicans. Every time you look around, they got a construction site. Ain't Mm -hmm. nothing but Mexicans. Now, I'm not mad at the Mexicans. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying we might have missed something there by building up our own community. You're preaching And now they're making all that money and keeping it in their families and some of them sending it back to Mexico. But, But still, even with all of that, we as a people control over a billion dollars of spending. Now, that's more than all but nine nations in the world. There's Russia, China, Germany. I can name the others, but my point is we have failed to recognize the power of the money that we have and the ability to influence politicians and and influence policy and, and legislation at the state and federal level. We have the ability to build and enhance our own community. Oh, is that the great integration in the speaking? Look, instead <laughs> of a million man march, I would suggest that we have a million black men commit to say two hundred dollars to start. Two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars. And and do what with it? Well, we could buy some land or, or build on that that we already own that hasn't been developed. We could invest in real estate, manufacturing, produce movies, invest in the financial market, build institutions, any number of ventures. That's not beyond the realm of possibility because in that scenario, you don't have to have one person that has all the money in order to make it happen. I hear the point you're making, Dr. King, and I know, we all know, that uh, you led one of the greatest movements ever, that Montgomery bus boycott. So I know what you did there mm-hmm. and how well you did it. But do you think in this moment, you've been gone for over 50 years now, brother, do you think in this moment you can get a million black men to cough up $200? Mm. You have not, brother, because you ask not.
Feet. Nobody thought that the bus boycott would work or be effective and that folks would stay off the buses, but when we appeal to their true essence and their commitment for uplifting our people, they did it. Mm -hmm. And where your treasure is, your heart lies also. These days... $200 is a, a movie and a dinner date. Now you're preaching. Now you're you know, preaching. <laughs> the Bible says, write the vision mm, and make, make it, it plain. plain. Make right. it plain, yeah. preacher. The collective power of black economic unity could be as formidable a weapon known to mankind if our aim is focused and true. I'm watching. Speaking of aim, I'm 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 aiming to to, to make sure we make the most of this conversation. I'm looking at my at my monitor here, and I can see uh, there are a number of callers on the line who would love to get in this conversation. When do you get a chance to talk to to Minister Malcolm and, and Dr. King? Uh, given that they've come back here just for a limited amount of time, and I'm honored that they chose this studio uh, for a conversation. And so that's some powerful stuff that both of you were just laying out. Um, this caller, though, wants to ask, and I want to get this question in right quick, whether or not there is a contemporary leader or personality that you gentlemen admire and why. We'll start with you, Dr. King. Now, at the risk of being accused of nepotism, I'd have to say my grandson, LeBron. Oh, oh, oh. Your, <laughs> your your grandson. You you mean you mean LeBron James? That, that's your grandson. He, now, he has a different last name. Now you know he got a hyphenated name. <laughs> You've heard the term King James. Oh, oh look out! Come, come on. <laughs> All right, Dr. King. Er, All right. Everybody, everybody got jokes, right? Everybody wanted King be. James and Martin Luther King. I would never have put that together, Dr. King. But okay, okay, okay. Now listen, he's setting a marvelous example, breaking down barriers and paving a path. If only. Others would follow. We, we say these days, that part right there. That part right there. Mm -hmm. And he's a man of character. He's elected to give his childhood friends not just a hand out, but a hand up by placing them in positions where they can learn and succeed. And consequently, each of these young men have gone on to become millionaire entrepreneurs in their own right. Mm. And they're empowering other black creatives to tell our stories and providing jobs and opportunities for countless numbers of people in all manner of business. I ain't mad at LeBron and None of, his, none of his homies either. Mm-hmm. He with the same woman that was his high school sweetheart, not the least of his accomplishments. The fact that with a high school diploma, mm -hmm. he has become a billionaire in his own right. And he understands and values the power of education. And he has committed to providing an education from grammar school straight through college for hundreds of young black people at, at no cost to themselves or their families. That's These are tangible elements of leadership. But most importantly, he's not afraid to speak truth to power no matter who's buying or not buying his tennis shoes. Oh, shoot. Shots fired. Shots fired. Pow! Man down. Man down. <laughs> and did I mention... Did I, no, did, did I hear Dr. King <laughs> just shank Michael Jordan? I'm just saying... And not to mention that he's a pretty good ball player, too. You know he just broke Kareem's all-time scoring record. Yeah, he did. I ain't mad at LeBron James, but uh, I, I did hear some shots fired. MJ is down, <laughs> y'all. MJ is down. All right, excellent choice. Your, your grandson, mm -hmm. LeBron James, he's obviously doing more than just dribbling. Indeed. Uh, uh, so here's the question, uh, Brother Malcolm. Uh, who do you see as a strong modern-day leader, someone 
in this contemporary moment that you admire, sir? Well, I'd certainly uh, be remiss if I didn't cite Brother Barack Obama, if for no other reason than the inspirational benefit of his presence on the world stage. Now, this young brother beat a whole bunch of white boys in a rigged game he wasn't even supposed to be playing, and he managed to capture the highest position on the board, and he held on to it for two terms against all odds until he had enough. That's a bad brother. He is a bad brother, and that could be a subject for another program altogether, Mr. Malcolm. And now a whole new generation of black kids could look to him and expand the limits of their ambition. No one can tell them that they have to be a carpenter just because they're good with their hands when the same skill set also is true for a surgeon. Mm -hmm. Now, although Barack is the obvious choice, the one who I really admired is that Michelle Obama. Somehow I thought you were going to say that. Tell me more. Why is that? Now she was somewhat a reluctant warrior, but once that spotlight hit her, that sister became one of the most powerful women in the world. Mm -hmm. She's unapologetic about who she is, where she came from, and where she intends on going. She's a down-to-earth kind of living, breathing, historical figure. She's a role model little black girls need and, and, and can relate to. You, and that has great value. You guys have been gone for a while. They they call that these days black girl magic. All right. Now, I like black that. Black girl magic. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And all of that says a whole lot about her husband. What does that say about her husband? Well, a lot of men, they would say that they just want a woman that they can talk to. And what's wrong with that? At an early age, that young brother was smart enough to realize that he not only needed a woman he could talk to, but a woman he could listen to as well. Now, you know Coretta's still talking and I'm still listening. <laughs> So that worked for me as well. Betty got a whole lot of I'll, I'll, give, I'll give y'all that. I'll give y'all that. He's not the only one listening, Barack, that is. Uh, Michelle is moving product. Y'all been mm -hmm. gone for a minute. She's moving product these all days. Right, She's selling right. books, uh, and everybody's buying them. Dr. King, um, I was always amazed by, and I, if I had the time, I'd make a distinction between optimism and hope. I don't have time for that. Um, but I, I was always amazed, as one of your students, by your optimistic view of America and what she could be. So let me ask you, looking back on it now, considering where we are in late modernity, uh -huh. what are your views on integration? Are they still the same? Well, I must confess that the dream that I had had that day at many points has turned into a nightmare. Tell me more. I'm not one to lose hope. I keep on hoping. But I've had to analyze many things over the years and I've gone through a lot of soul searching and a lot of agonizing moments. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, despite the optimism back then, I've seen that well, there were many more difficult days ahead than even I anticipated. Like what? Only a few months after I gave that speech that they now consider great and iconic, only a few months later, America felt comfortable enough to assassinate its own president on national television with the whole world watching. And that tells you what about this place called America? It tells me that some of the old optimism may have been misplaced or misguided and was a little superficial. And now it must be tempered with a solid realism. But don't you think, Dr. King, that your speeches, uh, the marches you led, the sit-ins, that those... Acts changed many people's minds, and that I have a dream speech in particular that you referenced earlier um, got you a lot of support from the white community. 
You know, sometimes I wish they would listen to more of what I had to say than what I spoke on that day. So do I. So do But I. in 1963, we went to Birmingham, as it turns out, to see a dog about a man. That <laughs> a dog about a man. Mm -hmm, okay. That man's name was Bull Connor. And during those particular acts of civil disobedience, what we did with our bodies and the, the beatings that we endured was we wanted to place right in the face of America what the Negro had to experience at the hands of white folks on a daily basis. Now, we didn't have social media back then, mm -hmm. so I had to lure the media in by putting our bodies on the line. But it was true back then, and it's true today. When it bleeds, it leads. Because it's still true. For many of the observers at that time and at this time, it was very difficult to watch, just like it was difficult to watch Tyree Nichols. Now, now you're speaking to my heart. <clears throat> I've said many times on this program that it's hard for me. I can't watch the Tyree Nichols video. I can't watch the, the video of George Floyd, particularly when these two brothers get to the point of calling for their mothers, Dr. King. Mm. They, they ain't calling for Jesus. All right. They're calling out for their mothers. I, I can't watch it. I understand, Tavis. It's hard to watch, but some of us need to see that in order to be reminded. You see, white folks seem to be merely reacting. They were reacting to Bull Connor. They're reacting to the present acts of violence against black folks rather than dealing with the issues of segregation and racism which lead to these acts of violence in the first place. Mm -hmm. I don't believe there was a good faith effort on the part of many of these white folks. I don't believe that there was a, a real realization on their part. I think some of the sympathetic whites and the white well-wishers from the North and other places came forth with limitations. Mm. By limitations, you mean? I mean the vast majority of white Americans will go but so far. It's kind of an installment plan for equality. They're often looking for an excuse to limit their obligation. They fail to recognize the systematic racism because it's not happening to them. It's like the analogy which asks, which has the greater commitment to your morning breakfast, the chicken or the pig? <laughs> you know, we think about it and we wonder which has the greater commitment, but that hen, all she did was lay a few eggs. That pig, however, he laid down his life <laughs> so that we could enjoy that bacon, ham, and pork sausage mm, yeah, that yeah. Negroes love oh, yeah. so much. Yeah, you Christian Negroes, you know you love you some swine. Now, you need <laughs> to be careful, Martin or Malcolm, because I have encountered a few pork chop-eating Muslims oh, in my No, <laughs> no, say it isn't so. But, but, but the point I was making is uh, similarly... White people might stop by the revolution and lay an egg and mm. give a dollar or two. All right. But the black man lays down his life mm -hmm. just by waking up in the morning. Every time. No, I hear you on that, Dr. King. You, you mentioned George Floyd. Uh, many view what happened to him as a modern-day lynching. As I said earlier, I, I can't watch that videotape. But many view what happened to George Floyd as a modern-day lynching. What do you say about that, Dr. King? What happened to George Floyd shouldn't happen not even to a dog and what happened to tyree nichols in michigan in memphis was even worse mm -hmm. how long must negroes continue to endure this foolishness 
the hands of law enforcement. A people can endure but so much before they reach a breaking point. We're already beyond the breaking point any time you got a bounty on a black man's head. Each time a cop kills one of us, he wins a six-week paid vacation mm. like he's some kind of high-producing pharmaceutical salesperson. Now, you know, now, I'm telling you, I'm ahead. telling you, Go ahead. the cavalry is decommissioned. If the black man is to be saved again, he must save himself. I don't think we disagree on that. Um, those are my sentences. Exactly. Uh, I guess the question is, how would you put that in a historical context, Minister Michael? Brother, there's nothing I can tell you today that I haven't told you over 50 years ago All because right. not much has changed in the fight for black liberation with the police or otherwise. Now, my biggest concern, however, is what they're calling critical race theory. Now, that, now the fact that they want to start outlawing the teaching of black history mm. and, and they're banning books, now that scares me. You mean to tell me, Minister Malcolm, I want to get this right, that of all the issues facing black America today, the banning of books is the one thing that most concerns you? Does it, does it scare you or does it scar you? Black folk forget. The one thing that white folks didn't want us to have was knowledge hmm. through reading. Hmm. They would trust the slave with a gun right. before they gave him a book. Because yeah, knowledge but, but, is power. But, but, but while I was in prison, books saved my life. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I would say that would be paramount. Knowledge is power. Now, you know, they've, they've written some books that that I think people need to have their hands on. There's the autobiography of Malcolm X. There's my stride toward freedom. Would those be the kinds of books that they would like to outlaw? Talking about this critical race theory. You know, white folks' reaction to this critical race theory is simply that they need to critically erase the contributions mm. of black folks and our ability to overcome, mm. overcome their racism, overcome their bigotry, overcome many of the obstacles that they've placed in front of us. Let me let, let me let me pivot to this um, again. Watching watching my time, we want to cover a few more issues with the two of you while you are here. And we're grateful for this opportunity. Um, I'm concerning the struggle uh, and the fight that we were talking about just a moment ago. Do either of you see any of our contemporary leaders as someone who would be willing to put it all on the line mm. like you did? Let's just let's just go right there and die for the cause. Now, what strikes me is how nonchalantly you asked that question. Now, you said as if you're uh, these leaders should somehow be willing to blindly substitute in something as trivial as a basketball game for the sole purpose of taking the foul, regardless of the severity of the penalty. I believe that Christ already did that. Mm -hmm. And this is no game, brother. The sacrifice you speak of is not simply ours as leaders alone to make. By that, you mean exactly what? Let's say that you, Tavis Smiley, are one of these courageous, unafraid black leaders willing to die for the cause. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm with you. I'm not asking you anything. Because I already know that you have blinders on. I'm going to ask your family, your loved ones, those who depend on you for their survival and their very existence. I'm going to ask your friends, your cousins, Ralph, Irene, and Junebug. 
Now I'm going to ask your elderly neighbor, Miss Ludabelle Jenkins, mm -hmm. who depends on you to make sure she takes her medication. I'm going to ask the very community of which you are a vital part, both locally and globally, are they willing to sacrifice your life for the cause? Mm -hmm. Now, speaking for myself, I have six beautiful, grown, intelligent daughters. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you what it feels like to have tucked them into bed to sleep at night or to smile mm. and hear their laughter watching them jump rope, double judge, mm. and play hide-and-go-seek while growing up. Tavis, I am not the father who got to walk them down the aisle and tell them how beautiful they, they look in their wedding dress. Our children could care less that black people needed a hero. They needed their fathers, and their mothers needed their husbands. Lord have mercy. And although my grandchildren will always know my name because I'm the man in the movie and on the baseball cap, but they will never know... They will never know my love, Davis. No, brother. We've had more than our share of martyrs. I'd like to see black leaders who are willing to live for the cause. That's a whole lot harder to do. Why is that so much harder, you think? Well, Tavis, it's difficult because people think that you're going to be around forever. And, you know, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I have greater concern for me. But I don't want to have to make that decision for you. I want you to be around so that you can continue to expose these messages and have this kind of programming. I want black fathers to be around so that their children have somebody to grow up with and to look up to. I want black mothers to be around so that they can nurture our children in the way that we need them to. It's more to it than just giving up your life. If you're going to give up your life, give it up for something greater. Give up this life for a better life on this planet. I, I hear your point <clears throat> about the dreams of our fathers, the dreams of our mothers. There was indeed a greater price paid than even we who applauded your sacrifice realized. I, I know once again that your time on this plane is limited today mm -hmm. and it's about to expire before you leave us once again. Um, if you had to leave us with one more thing you wanted us to be aware of. What would that be you first, Dr. King? Well, Tavis, if there's only one thing I would like for people to remember this morning, it is the fact that somebody must have some sense in this world. Somebody must have sense enough to meet hate with love. Somebody must have sense enough to meet physical force with soul force. And if we will but try this way, we will be a great people. And let us have faith in the future. I know it's dark sometimes. And I know that many of us are asking, how long will we have to live with this system? How long? How long will prejudice blind the visions of men? How long? Darken their understanding and drive bright-eyed wisdom from her sacred throne. 
When will wounded justice, lying prostrate on the streets of our cities, be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men? Yes, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night and pluck from weary souls the manacles of death and the chains of fear? How long will justice be crucified and truth buried? How long? How long? I can only answer, not long. How long? How long? Not long, because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long, right. because you still reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. How long? Not long, because truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways our future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long, for mine eyes have seen the glory and the coming of our Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. Woo! His truth is marching on. March on. He has sounded forth the trumpet which shall never call retreat. On, he has lifted up the hearts of men before his judgment. Said, oh, be swift, my soul. Be swift. To answer him, be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Mm. Mm. Woo! Speaking of goosebumps, um, that, 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 Mr. Malcolm, <laughs> um, what would you, sir, want to want to leave us with? I don't know, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Every now and then, you just have to get out of the way and let spirit do its work. Okay, I feel like taking up an offering. Mm. <laughs> anytime, but anytime, uh, you know, after all the things that black people have given this country, the one thing that I can say for certain is that the American government has failed us. You, you can't deny that. Some would argue, though, Minister Malcolm, that things have gotten considerably better since you left us. So how do you categorically say that? Anytime you're living in the 21st century, in 2023, and you're still reminding them that black lives matter, mm -hmm. then the government has failed you. So it sounds to me, from what I'm hearing you say, that we, as a black people, need one of those self-help programs you were talking about when you were here. Before we can get a self-help program, before we can get that started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Hmm. Black nationalism is a self-help philosophy. But a lot of enlightened black folk, as you well know, Minister Malcolm, have been taught to well, let's just be honest, to reject a philosophy of black nationalism and that integration is still possible. So what do you say to that, sir? I still remember the signs that read, no niggers, no Jews, no dogs. If you can read this sign, leave now. Niggers, if you can't read, leave anyhow. I say, who taught you to hate the color of your skin? Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to, to hate the shape of your nose, the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to, to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. 
But ultimately, if you and I are going to live in a black community, and that's where we're going to live, because as soon as you, you move out of the black community into their community, it's mixed for a period of time. But then they're gone, and you're right there all by yourself again. Mm-hmm. Black, a black nationalist philosophy simply says that we should have our own community, our own resources, our own businesses, providing jobs for our, our people, not begging someone else for work. We're, we're self-sustained, self-sufficient, and doing well on our own, comfortable being around our own people. Ironically, nowadays the problem and an unintended consequence of creating that kind of strong black community is apparently, I guess we made it look too good. Mm. Now white folks are integrating right on back into black neighborhoods and they're taking over, but they're not calling it that. They're calling it gentrification, but that's a form of hostile integration by the same, and it's the same thing. Yeah. And, and they don't even have a song, Tavis. Mm-hmm. No, we shall overcome, kumbaya, none of that. I said, wake up, black America, for the cost and casualty of your memory loss is too great to sustain. And that will ultimately be your downfall. Around here, we say we are unapologetically progressive. um, And we are. We've had a lot to talk about in this hour, Minister Malcolm. Now, before you sign off, Tavis, I want to say that it's no accident that you have a radio station at this station at this point in your professional evolution. And it's altogether appropriate mm-hmm. because you have a voice you have a and voice. you have something to say that's worthwhile hearing. You're intelligent, right? talented, and well-informed. And our people need to hear you, and I'm glad you're still talking to us. Thank you for talking. I'm glad the two of you came to talk to us. Thank Um, you for having us, Travis. We would all want to know. We'd all want to know how Malcolm feels about the work that we're doing. We'd all want to know how Dr. King feels about the work that we're doing. So uh, to have you two come here to speak for us for this hour uh, has been... um, it's been a moment that I will never forget the rest of my life. We Thank appreciate you, you allowing this opportunity. We appreciate you. God bless you, brother. As we say around here, keep the faith. Thank you for listening to The Return. The Return. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us. But we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. On KBLA Talk 1580. We are-